Why do we doubt? There are many reasons we could give, but all of them mask the real reason. I look at Abraham, a hero of faith, reveals our answer. I'm Pastor Jason Barnett, and this is the Dirt Pastor My Podcast. Genesis chapter 17. That's where we're going to be at this morning. And as I'm getting there, I want to share a story with you about a, a, a famous evangelist by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. He's from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. Uh, and basically, he's a well-known evangelist. He went around preaching and spreading the word of God. He's, he's a well-known writer. Matter of fact, if you go to my office and on my bookshelf, there's a book called A Commentary on the Book of Acts. He wrote it. Don't sit and try to be straight through it, though, because it's it's difficult. (laughs) But it's good stuff. And matter of fact, G. K. Morgan, he 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 placed his faith in God, and God called him to preach. And he preached his first sermon at 13 years old. 13 years old, he had enough faith to go and trust God and preach His word. But when he turned 19, he ran into a crisis of his faith. He started reading these books by guys like Charles Darwin, some other scientists and other agnostics who don't believe in God. He read their works and it, it really disturbed his mind. Upset him. It upset him to the point where he canceled all of his speaking engagements. He took every one of his books. And he put him in the cupboard and locked him away. It had messed him up that much. After he had done all that, Morgan, he went to a bookstore and he purchased a new Bible. He purchased it, but as he purchased it, he he thought to himself, you know, I'm not sure if I believe what I've been told about this book anymore. My dad, my pastor, they told me that this book was the word of God, but you know, at this moment, I'm not so sure. But I do know this. If it is the book that I was told it is, if I read it with an open and humble mind, God will speak to me and prove that this word is true. So he sat down and he opened that Bible, and the Spirit of God began to pour out his life again. That the light of the Spirit chased away all the darkness that had filled those deep corners of his mind, and it reignited that passion that God had planted in him to preach and teach the Word. And it really was from that moment that he became a student of the Word, because he had new assurance to go back out and share the truth of God. You see, there, there are many things that we will read, there are many things that we'll see in our lives. There's many things that we'll think that will cause doubt to pop in. Cause us to doubt the goodness of God, to doubt that God even exists, to doubt that it's worth it all. Why? Why isn't that with us? Hasn't God repeatedly proved himself over and over to us? See, we're going to continue our Lent series called Never Again. And for our series, we've been looking at Old Testament passages that point us to Jesus. I, I always laugh because every once in a while I hear someone say, well, I am a New church, Testament church just like the book of Acts. So that means that you preach Jesus from the law and the prophets? 
Because they didn't have the Old the New Testament yet. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> you see, we read the Old Testament, we think it's a separate time period. We think it's not connected to the story of Jesus, but this entire book, from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22, talks about the story of Jesus. Everything in it points you to Jesus. And so as we go through this Lent season, we're looking at these stories in the Old Testament that point us to Jesus, where God tells us never again. And we're going to look at a forefather of faith who's faced with a moment of doubt. What does this man do? He laughs. Let's read Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, and then I'm going to skip down to verses 15 through 17. But Jordan doesn't know about 17. <laughs> when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, you will be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come for you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God, and the God of your descendants after you. Skip it down to 15. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her, and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings and peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of ninety? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we look at this passage, we're going to try to answer the question of why do we doubt? And there are many reasons that we could give, but all of them will point us back to one culprit. In our passage today, Abraham, a hero of the faith, reveals our answer. So looking at verse 1, and as we begin to understand that this, this promise that God gives Abraham, I'm going to call him Abraham the whole time, rather than flip back and forth and, and confuse you, confuse myself, confuse the people listening. So it's Abraham, but when we read Abraham, it means Abraham, okay? The same person. Alright. But when we read this, this promise that God gives Abraham is not a new one. In fact, God gives Abraham this promise this very exact same promise is in Genesis chapter 15. God gives Abraham this promise in Genesis 15. Abraham hears it, accepts it. Matter of fact, he takes a bunch of animals, cuts them in half as a sacrifice to acknowledge to God that I have heard this promise and I accept it. I accept this gift that you are trying to give to me. I hear you, God. I'm getting old, but I don't have an heir. You're telling me that I'm going to have one, that you're going to make my descendants white with the stars in the sky. So I trust you. That's how 15 ends. 
The problem is time goes by. And Abraham still doesn't have a son. Sarah's not getting any younger and she's still not pregnant. So they come up with a plan. This is in Genesis 16. You see, Sarah had this, this maidservant named Hagar. And Hagar showed up for work one day. She says, she says Hagar, I have a special job for you today. And they take Hagar and they, they put her before Abraham. And, and they decide that, you know, you know maybe, maybe God's promise wasn't going to be, you know, it, it was for Abraham. And Abraham was going to have an heir. But perhaps it wasn't through Sarah. So maybe as long as, as Abraham just has a kid with somebody, God's promise will come true. And Hagar was picked because she worked there. But disaster comes in 16 because they make this decision. It is a mess. I don't have time to go into detail to tell you what happened, but if you read 16, it is a disaster. Nothing good happens from this decision. But see, that's the truth of what happens when we try to obtain God's promise without doing it God's way. That's what happens when God promises something and we're not patient enough to wait for it and then we try and go get it ourselves. That's what happens, happened to Abraham and Sarah. They, they used Hagar to try and get God's promise quicker because it made more logical sense than what God was telling them and what was happening around them. And it made a disaster that left a bunch of people broken and hurt, which is what sin always does. So that, that leads us back here to 17. So this promise isn't new. Matter of fact, it's been almost 13 years since God initially made that promise to Abraham. And despite God, Abraham's failure, God comes back to him again and says, I haven't forgot you. I haven't forgot what I said to you. And so he's going to reaffirm the promise to Abraham here. And verse 1, it's very interesting. It's that God says this in the very beginning to Abraham. He says, I am God Almighty. We read that in English, we think that's just talking about how powerful God is. You see, that the English does not do a very good job of translating the word that God uses to name himself right here. In the Hebrew, God names himself as God All-Sufficient. He tells Abraham, I am God All-Sufficient. Meaning, I am enough for you. I have everything that you need. The Lord is telling Abraham that he is the God who has everything but pours out blessings on people. That's how he identifies himself to Abraham. I am God all-sufficient. Then he goes on. He says, I'm God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. God's telling Abraham to do it his way. God's given Abraham this promise. He said, and this is my promise to you. This is the covenant I'm making with you. But do it my way. Have, have faith in me. Trust me, Abraham. Trust me that I am good and that my way for you is good. Do it my way. And let's, be, let's be honest. Abraham already has had the experience of what happens when he tries to do it himself.
Abraham has to have faith in God and then live his life through that faith. And down in verse 5 it says, No longer will you be called Abraham, your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. So God reaffirms this promise to, to Abraham, Abraham at the time. But because God was entering Abraham, Abraham into a new point of his life, he wanted to give Abraham a whole new identity. He was no longer to be identified by that old life that he was living by. He wasn't to be identified by that past mistake that he had made by Hagar. No, he, God wanted him to be known by the promise that he was reaffirming to Abraham in that moment. Abraham is God, the God, the father of many nations. This new moment of Abraham's life called for a new name. So God's promise and call for Abraham was to walk blamelessly, was entering a new period of life, one that was not his own, but belonged to God. The word that, that the promise that God had to Abraham wasn't Abraham's work. It wasn't something Abraham had to accomplish on his own. It was the work of God that all he had to do was have faith and be obedient to God's leading. Allow God to do the work. But down in verse 7, 15, 16, 17, it says, God, God also said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Sarah, your name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down and he laughed, accepted himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? God reaffirms this promise to Abraham and to Sarah. Even though they didn't deserve it, even though they had tried to get it without him, God in his love and his grace reaffirms the promise and says, this is going to happen. And it's going to happen through your wife Sarah. And what, how does Abraham respond to God's faithfulness and God's grace? He laughs. He laughs. He laughs at the absurdity of the idea. He laughs at the idea that God will do what is impossible. Think about it. He is a hundred years old. His wife is 90. And God tells them, I'm going to give you a baby. You two are going to make one together. The idea is crazy. It seems impossible. What is the likelihood? What are the odds? Scientifically, I'm sure we can look that up and figure it out if we wanted to. Abraham was so certain that this was impossible that he laughs. Why does he laugh? It could be that the idea was just so ridiculous, so absurd. It wasn't that he doubted God, but that the idea that God could do it was so crazy. The only thing he could do was nervously laugh about it. Like, wow, God could really do that? God could really make me a child? Let's have a child when we're this old? Or he'd be laughing because he didn't really think God could do it. He trusted that God was going to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. But maybe he laughed because he just thought, this is completely impossible. I'm crazy. I had, two, I had a bad glass of goat milk tonight. Man, I'm just, I'm just out there. 
God is good or that He wants to do good, something good. And it goes beyond that. Sin has taught us that not only can we not trust God, we can't trust anybody else. When someone does something good in our life, what's our reaction? What do they want? What do they want from me? What are their expectations for me? What's, what's their hidden agenda that they're trying to manipulate into this? God didn't teach you that. Sin has taught you that. See, that's how deeply sin has affected the patterns of your mind. That's how deep sinless is rooted into your heart, into the fabric of who you are as a person. It causes you to doubt the goodness of God and it rebels you. Call it at least your rebellion against Him. But remember how God introduces Himself in, in chapter 17 to Abraham? Remember what He says? He says, I am God Almighty. But actually, He's actually saying, I am God all sufficient. God begins to reaffirm this problem to Abraham by saying, I am God all sufficient. I am God that is enough for you. Have faith in me. Don't have faith in yourself. Don't have faith in your abilities. Don't have the faith in the systems around you. Have faith in me. Don't even have faith in your own faith. Have faith in me. John Leslie wrote, We have all of him. We have enough in him. We have enough to satisfy our most enlarged desires. Enough to supply the effect of everything else and to secure happiness for our immortal souls. What John Leslie is saying, what God is trying to get us to understand is the idea that God could fall short of his promises or even fail to provide for us is ridiculous. God introduces himself to Abraham as, I am God all sufficient. I am God that is enough for you. All of God's goodness, all of God's love, all of God's power, he uses for you because he loves you. And there is nothing that he cannot do. You see, doubt is a light fabricated in the depths of humanity's brokenness. But it's not the truth about who our God is. When we sit and think to ourselves, how can, how can Abraham be considered a forefather of faith if he has this kind of doubt hidden within his heart and in his mind? I mean, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, which is considered the hall of fame of faith, it has all these great people of faith that, that God considered their faith righteousness because of how much faith they had. Abraham's listed in there twice. One, because he left everything to go to a land that God told him to go to without giving him a map or an itinerary. He packs up everything, his entire family leaves his father's estate behind and goes just follows God. God considered that faith righteousness for Abraham. And then this moment here. Matter of fact, God considers this moment here an act of faith and righteousness by Abraham. Does that make any sense? He laughed. He revealed his doubt. That, that, that he reveals doubt. How can, how can he be a, a forefather of faith? How can he be considered someone of great faith that he had doubt? Paul writes this in Romans chapter 4, verse 20. He says, Abraham did not waver in unbelief about the promise of God, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. So even though in his, in his humanness, Abraham laughs right here, he has that doubt going on. 
He realizes something. He realizes that God is bigger than his unbelief. God is greater than his unbelief. God was more powerful than his unbelief. You see, God, Abraham, he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't, he doesn't just sit there and wallow in his doubts. He doesn't allow his doubts to dictate how he made choices in his life. He doesn't even allow the doubt to, to, to cause him to distrust God. Does he doubt the plan? Yes, but then he still remains faithful, believing that you know what? He's my God. I don't think he can do this, but he's my God. I'm not going to make my God compete with my unbelief. Instead, I'm going to take my unbelief. I'm going to place it in the hands of God and say, God, you're bigger than this, and you can work in spite of it. He did not allow his unbelief to stop him from following God's will for his life. He doesn't try and hide away or pretend that he, 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 he has it all figured out. He doesn't pretend that his doubt doesn't exist. He doesn't try to rationalize away or explain it as something else. He acknowledges that I have doubt here, but you know what? My God is bigger. And I'm going to trust him. You see, you and I, we can have faith like Abraham. Abraham's human just like us. Just as broken and messed up as we are. We just have more toys than he has. We have more technology. We have, we have more health, better health care. We have, we have different things that he didn't have in this time period available to him. Yet we deal with the same enemy of the doubt. That same enemy of unbelief that he dealt with. Yet we can have the same faith that he had. You see, never again do we have to chuckle at the absurdity of the impossible. Why? Because God has already worked the most impossible of all impossibilities. You know what the most impossible of them all is? That God would become flesh and make his dwelling among us. That he would come to his own and have them reject him, have them mock him, have them spit upon him, have them ridicule him and doubt everything that he says. That he does all these good and amazing things and his own that he comes to, he looks at him and says, you must be the prince of demons because that's how you're doing all this. Despite all that, he's loving them anyway. He loves them to the point where he goes and he dies on the cross and he rises again. So that these sinners that were lost and broken forever, with no hope of return on their own, can have a way to come back home. That is the most impossible thing of all impossible things, to take a broken, wretched sinner and make them someone that is considered righteous. And Jesus did that by the way of the cross. And that most impossible thing, Jesus has done it. And if God can do that, because Jesus God. He is fully God and fully human. I can't explain how it works. I can't believe how that works. Explain to you how that works together. But all I know is that when Jesus was here, he was fully God and he was fully human at the same time. And he died for us so we can have a way back home to him. He made a way for lost sinners to come home.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dirt Pass Sermon Podcast. If you live in or near the Greensburg, Kentucky area or find yourself visiting our community on a Sunday morning, please join us at 1030 a.m. Central Time at Greensburg Church of Nazarene, located at 31 Bluebird Lane.